electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, guys, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange, the final stretch for stocks, and why some say a Santa Claus rally is still in the cards. For your money, we'll discuss and debate with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Michael Farr, Joe Terranova, and Jenny Harrington. Let's take a look at the markets here, 12 noon in the east, and we're trying to put a little something together here. Dow's good for 135. S&P is down uh, still five. NASDAQ down about 94. And there is the Russell 2000 uh, down a fifth of a percent. We're going to get to all of that. Implications for a Santa Claus rally. What... uh, you know, the outlook may hold for 2023, but we got to start with our chart of the day. Normally we do it later, but we're doing it now uh, because I think it's the most interesting story in the market. It's Tesla. Uh, right now it hits another new low. The market cap has fallen now below Walmart and JP Morgan. That's stunning in and of itself. If you consider where it started this year, Joe, it was north of $1.2 trillion. Okay. Now it is, as I look at it now, it is like $355 billion. That to me is emblematic of the story of the year in the stock market itself for stocks like that. Without question. The the beginning of the downfall for Tesla was in early April when Elon Musk announced the stake in Twitter. At that point, the stock was 10% higher on the year. Not 10% higher than where it is now. 10% higher in the green year. In the green year. Subsequent to that, in four separate stock sales, Elon Musk has sold $23 billion worth of stock. Now, he's tried to defend the stock. He has split the stock. He has dangled a stock buyback. He has said he will no longer be the CEO of Twitter. He's attempted everything he possibly can. What he cannot do is he cannot defend against the massive ownership that existed in this company. And unfortunately, for those that do own it, the cost of capital has changed so dynamically that that ownership is being liquidated in what I think is one of the most dramatic equity liquidations I've witnessed since 2000. So momentum is a powerful thing. Powerful. Up and down. Now, you own the stock. We do. Through the Joe T ETF. Correct. Now, if I'm a betting man, and sometimes I am a betting man, I'm thinking that when you rebalance, which is coming at the end of the year, and we're going to find out shortly after that what end the of January. End, of January. end of January, current holdings are, that Tesla may not be in the Joe T. Can you give us an idea, if you're able to, uh, on how you're thinking about this right now? I'm going to give you my best Bill Belichick. I'm on overtime the last day of January. So you're on to Cincinnati, in other words. 
Correct. <laughs> you're, not, you're not talking about it now. And it's, I'm sure, because uh, just from a regulatory standpoint, I, I would imagine that you're, you're not able to get into any sort of you know, key details uh, about that. However, Jenny, how are we supposed to think about what's happening here as it sort of relates to the overall narrative in the stock market? Because I, I think they're tied together. I think so. And actually, Scott, as I was driving in, I was listening to the radio, and you said something that was so smart that I texted it to myself so I'd requote it. You said, we are re-rating everything because of what lies ahead. And that, to me, that sentence encapsulates everything that's going on. That's Tesla, that's Peloton, which is what I think you were talking about. It's the reason energy up is, is up, it's the reason utilities are up. Everything's being re-rated. It's not all in one direction. It's not all negative. Some of it's quite positive. But when we look at, at Twitter, where, sorry, when we look at Tesla, where I disagree with Joe a little bit is it wasn't, it wasn't Twitter that created the downfall. It was that the share price never should have been what it was. And that brings me back to that Charlie Munger quote, which I'm going to completely botch, which is something like any one wonderful com company can be turned into a terrible investment simply by driving up the share price too much. And that's what happened. That's what happened over the past several years. These share prices just got... You think Twitter had nothing to do? Twitter was a catalyst that accelerated something that had to happen. Okay, so if the stock was standing at the edge of the cliff... Something else It was Twitter. Happen. No, it was Twitter Anything. that pushed it over. Uh, no, because I think, it you never guys are, I think you guys can both be right. I think you're right. I think you yeah. guys can both be right. I think was Twitter the was the most recent... Uh, episode to puncture one of the tires, but the car was already in trouble because of where we are, mm -hmm. what the Fed is doing, and as I said this morning, what lies ahead still. I, I, sorry, I disagree with both of you. The stock was 10% higher at the beginning of April. The market was already down. There was a degree of resiliency built into the stock. But there was, but only into the stock price. The thing is, it was trading back then at what, like, 10 times the collective value of every single automotive company in the world. Some people think two. it's a tech company. You know, okay, but it just didn't make sense. At some point, the future cash flows need to justify the current valuation. And there was no version of Tesla at its peak that was ever justifiable, not for like 30 years of growth. And so that's what's happening. And that's what happened. It came down. It's just it's just reconciling. The whole year is about reconciliation. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fine way to put it. There's one you know, more thing, ahead, Scott. Go ahead, Michael, because if I had told you at the beginning of the year when Tesla was in the trillion dollar club with the Microsofts and the Apples, uh, and I said that at the end of the year, it was going to be in the Walmart club uh, with a market cap that obviously is respectable, uh, any company would be respectable to have a $350 billion market cap. But if I had told you that it was going to go from $1.24 trillion to $355 billion, you told me I was crazy. Not me. I would have said you're smart. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have said that the direction, that, that some air had to come out of that stock. My, my, my read is just a little bit different, and that is I think that there was the magic of Musk uh, on this stock. Uh, and, and, he, and when he got distracted with Twitter and he became so vocal on Twitter, it became clear to his loyal fan base that were invested in Tesla, who basically said, this guy's not paying attention anymore. This is his baby and he's lost his focus. And when the CEO loses his focus, yeah, investors leave. I think that a lot of that stock's premium was a Musk premium. Uh, and he has a lot to do to restore, I think, the faith of the investors in Tesla and that he's still paying attention and that he's still going to innovate. He seems completely distracted. I still feel like, though, Jenny sort of nails it here um, with the, the idea that there's a, there was a reckoning 
This was uh, the, the poster, of, yes. in many ways, of the reckoning that took place in the stock market and continues as we're witnessing before our very eyes today. You know, stocks down another eight or so percent today, Bryn. Um, you've witnessed this firsthand, not through your Tesla holding, obviously, but through ARC, which you now have sold. But Tesla's a big holding there. You've seen it firsthand. Many investors have witnessed the pain firsthand because the reckoning that has taken place was ground zero here, and it obviously spread to other areas, too. So I don't think you can compare, you know, the reckoning of Tesla with like a Peloton or any other company. It's like even like the most, I think, conservative estimates is that Tesla will do, I think, at minimum five dollars in earnings in 2023. So let's say the stock's at what, 115, 116? That's a 23 forward multiple. So right now this stock is a falling knife, but it will stop at some point. And now you have this scenario where, I mean, this stock could easily trade at like an 18, 19 PE. And this is a growth company. This is not an automotive, uh, automotive company. This is a tech company. And so I think this Twitter nonsense will go away. He's distracted for a minute. He's a genius. He's created so many companies. He can land two rockets at the same time. I think this is a really interesting name that once it settles, because you don't want to buy a stock making new 52-week lows. That's just like rule number one. But it will bottom probably around the hundreds, is my opinion. But at $5, five, $5.40 in earnings, I think that gets to be a really interesting name looking, looking forward the next few years. I mean, he may be the greatest genius who ever walked the face of the earth. That doesn't mean that Tesla ever deserved to be a $1.2 trillion market cap company. That's the reckoning that has been experienced, that stocks exactly. like that, as great as it may be, as great as he arguably still is, that doesn't make Tesla, Jenny, a $1.2 trillion market cap stock. And in a zero, in a non-zero interest rate environment, right. I think There's no reason to think that it would be at that valuation, which speaks to your point of how crazy some of these stocks got in this calendar year. And Joe said something really interesting initially. He said what Elon Musk has failed to be able to do is get the owners back in. And Michael said the investors. Well, the thing is, what drove Tesla to the $1.2 trillion market cap, it wasn't owners and it wasn't investors. It was players. And we need to be really careful on who we're, as, as investors, you need to know who's on the other side of the trade from you. I don't want to bet against players who are just in there, you know, driving things up. And that's why GameStop and AMC were really dangerous and really scary There's to real me. investors in, in this name, though. There are. I mean, let's, let's include Kathy Wood in, in that group. She's not a player. Uh, Ron, Barron. Ron Barron, he's not a fly-by-night in investor either. But I'll bet they weren't, maybe Kathy was, but I'll bet most of the real investors were not buying at the very top. I'll bet they've been in for a long time and they were much more thoughtful the way Bryn's being, saying, look, at $5 of earnings, if the shares are at 100 at $5 of 24 earnings at, with the shares at 100 that's a valuation that you can pay that justifies owning this at this price. The people who were paying for it before, they were just playing. Bryn, you know, I'm intrigued by, by where you were going with all of this suggesting almost in your voice like you were thinking of maybe buying this at, at some point. Yep. Could, could you picture yourself being a buyer of, of Tesla common stock? For sure. I mean, bear markets are the best time where people misprice everything. And so I'm not concerned where it was a year ago because I invest looking forward. 
And if you look at what he's been able to do, I mean, what I'm not interested in is buying Ford. I mean, Ford is the same price it was 35 years ago. So this is a growth tech company. And I think that people thinking that he's so distracted, he's not the only person that works at his company. He has an incredible group of people. So I'm definitely interested. But what I'm not interested is to buy it today when it continues just to fall, when you just have mass sellers. But definitely, I would love to have the opportunity to step into this name with a company with a 2022 multiple growing, that that to me looks like a really interesting opportunity for next year. Joe, so I, you know, I think Bryn is on to the possibility in 2023 that for a trade, and if you want to call them players, however you want to define them, for a trade, yeah, I think you're going to be able to buy this stock and get yourself 20 to 25. Well, I don't feel easily. like Bryn is talking like a trader. Bryn is talking about no. a generational yeah. opportunity in a name that she believes in that has the earnings power that she mentioned that can be a great stock over the long term. She's not talking about well, what a, I, what, okay. as a trader. But Bryn is basically telling you we're going to win the game. I'm saying we're playing the first quarter. I want to get a couple of first downs first and feel good about ourselves. So I, th I think we have two different perspectives. I think what's easier for me to see is that right now, the significant ownership in this stock, wherever it might lie, institutional, retail, there are mechanics that are going on here that go beyond what's the valuation of the stock. There's a lot of forced selling right now. The selling that's in the market on Tesla has nothing to do with people who want to be in the stock and, and are, are maybe cutting it back. These are people that are being forced to sell. I think a lot of it relates to margin activity. I think both for retail and for institutions. And it's still unclear to what degree did Elon Musk pledge the stock as collateral for a lot of his loans. That's unclear to date. What, what about where the overall market may be going in the near term? Let's just say that you know this stock, these types of stocks are, are more interest rate sensitive than others. I think we can uh, honestly s suggest that point of view, Michael Farr. If, if interest rates continue right. to hover in this level or move higher, these kinds of stocks, take Elon Musk and some of the noise and drama out of it, are going to have continued problems, aren't they? They're going to have continued problems, and we've seen this in tech over and over. If we go to the really near term, though, Scott, what we've seen is a run-up in these stocks. We, Wall Street's developed some narrative post a Fed meeting that we haven't started to hear yet, but I'm going to tell you next week we're going to start to hear whispers and rumors. You know that the Fed might take a, might take a break, or they might go to a quarter of a point, or they're going to do something that the Fed hasn't suggested they're going to do, but Wall Street creates the narrative, and in that narrative, these tech stocks have started to rally. So you could see a rally again until the Fed comes and drops the hammer again, as they have at every of the last five meetings, and said, we really mean it. We're going to keep rates higher. And that's taken the air right out of these tech stocks as you look at a higher cost of capital. Joe and everybody else absolutely on point. So uh, could you get a run up? Yes. Until the Fed cha stops changing the price of money, it's very difficult for an investor to determine the right entry point for a stock or the longer term value. But we're coming well, to the why. end of that cycle. I'm feeling a lot better about it. That, that's why it's easier to be out than in, in in this kind of environment, at least, you know, according to, let's just say, what, what David Tepper suggested, Jenny, last week on Squawk when he was on. Uh, this really isn't that difficult of a market to understand in a mind like Mr. Tepper's if you just consider it plain and simple. 
black and white. Fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. This is a don't fight the Fed moment. I mean, and don't fight global central banks moment more specifically. It seems to me pretty cut and dry. If you're trying to swim against an overwhelmingly strong tide in your face, you're going nowhere. Right. And so if we say don't fight the Fed, that doesn't necessarily mean the markets. Okay, we're down to what expectations for 325 basis point hikes. We kind of know where Fed funds rates going. We know what's happening with inflation. So we can take all of that and we can say, okay, how do you invest smartly? We think we know. So you got to add that. We think we know because we don't really know. The risk, of course, is to the upside on the terminal rate. The risk is to the downside Ah. on earnings. The risk is to more sticky inflation and a higher for longer Fed. Fair enough. And what you can do then is run your discounted cash flow analysis, run your NPVs and say, okay, if the Fed funds rate is at three and a half percent, does this investment work? Does it still work at four and a half percent? At least we have numbers that we can play with. And so neither three and a half nor four and a half is going to work for the former Pelotons of the world. But they will work for some of the things in my portfolio, like Arda or Madiv or Lamar Advertising. So that's where you don't need to... You, you cannot fight the Fed, right? But you can still stay invested and still make smart investment decisions. You just kind of need to know where they're going and what works in this higher for longer rate or an environment where there's less certainty. Joe, um, I mean, there are people like Ed Yardeni still think we're going to have an up year in 23. And I'm sure there are others. Look, I mean, even at Labenthal's perspective, Tom Lee is has been, been positive. There's no shortage of articles about what could go wrong, Yardeni says. We could talk ourselves into a recession since so many economists and strategists are pessimistic. From a contrarian perspective, that's supportive of what could go right, the alternative for 2023. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how so many focus on where we are going to be one year from now, making these forecasts. What I'd rather <laughs> do is manage the risk around the forecast. You have a forecast, okay, now how exactly do you manage the risk? There are several things that I can see in front of me. Number one, without question, 2022 has been the most significant tax loss selling experience we have had since the great financial crisis. As you roll the calendar into 2023, there has to be a period where, from a trading perspective, you see a return of capital into a lot of those stocks that have been sold off under tax loss selling pressure. Going beyond that, I think the message in the market is as crystal clear as it can be. Santa Claus rally, the Santa Claus rally is happening. It's just happening in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's happening in those type of stocks. Merck, 52-week high today. J.M. Smucker, 52-week high today. Caterpillar, 52-week well, high today. Why Financials and higher. Healthcare but the, were among the better performing sectors of the year, why, even though they were negative. Okay, but the suggestion then becomes, because everyone has this forecast for 12 months from now, we're either going to go up 10% or we're going to go down 10%, and you have to change the style and strategy, which we know right now is aligned with the environment of monetary policy. These are the stocks in a world where there's competition for equities in other places like bonds. For now, though, because some say that industrials, which have done, as I said, better than a lot of other areas of the market this year, can't hold on. Bryn, they're not going to be able to hold on if the economic Mm -hmm. picture worsens, not only here in the United States, but around the world, where many of these companies that we're speaking of have a global footprint. Yeah, if you think we're going into a recession, what you don't want to own are financials, industrials, and tech, right? So, I mean, you have to have that narrative, and I think industrials have done 
really well this year. I think there is that like that Liebenthal theory of like, well, we're building all these things in the U.S. But I mean, I think in general, you've had, well, not in general, specifically, every recession in the U.S. has been preceded by either an oil shock, an inverted yield curve, or Fed tightening. Well, we had all three of those this year. And so I think the probability that we go into a contraction or recession is pretty high. When that happens, I don't know. But to Jenny's point, though, it's so important. Does it really matter? Like, cause are you going to be David Tepper and say, I'm short and long? Well, if you're David Tepper, you can do that. But for people like myself who are setting strategy, we've been invested all year. We've been really overweight, free cash flow yielding companies, covered calls, energy, and underweight technology. And so you have to be able to survive these bear markets because guess what happens after a bear market is a bull market. And so I think it's less about what happens at the end of the year and managing through this year, owning strategies that can do well in a slowing kind of sluggish economy. I think, look, I think that for, since you mentioned Tepper, we'll just put a little coda on that. I mean, I think the, the, the means for him coming on with the message that he did for somebody who frankly doesn't come on the, anywhere all that often is to suggest to people, let's be careful out there who people who are, are, you know, maybe listening to those who suggest that the sky is filled with sun when the clouds have been building more dramatically over the last many months and may br bring a sizable amount of precipitation in the, in the months ahead. Let's be careful out there because there are a lot of issues that we need to deal with that maybe some of the more bullish people who are expressing their views haven't accurately uh, either understood or articulated. So I, I think there's a little bit to that there, too, not trying to, you know, be be so nimble of be, oh, well, he could be short, he could be long at any moment. And of course, he could and his mind may have changed between what he said last week and today. That's the, the, the genius of of what those kind of people are able to do in, in the market. But I think it's an interesting note that we should we should put on there. I think that's the overall reason as to why you heard from him when you did. It just underscores the kind of caution that still exists in the market. Big tech hit hard this year. We'll debate if a turnaround is ahead in 2023. Do that next, just two minutes away. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Mega cap tech stocks getting hit yet again today. Now, Michael Farr. 
Apple, worst year since 08. Alphabet, same. Microsoft, same. Amazon, worst year since 2000, it's down like 50%. Meta, down 65%, it's the worst year ever. I go to you first because you own Apple, Alphabet, and Microsoft. Is there any reason to believe that this turns around in 23? I own Amazon, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sorry. Uh, to, to turn around, <laughs> that's okay. I got a bunch of them. Uh, you know, these were you shouldn't be terrific smiling, companies then. long term. Oh, no. I've been, I'm smiling because I've owned them a long time. I mean, I've owned the fangs and these big caps for a long time. I've owned Microsoft going back to where, you know, Bill Gates was still in short pants. I'm old, remember? Uh, but And that's the thing. This has been a bad year for them. They've underperformed. They've underperformed because they had a great run-up during COVID, number one. Number two, you saw the cost of capital go up and they got walloped. They got some other henwits with supply chain issues. Uh, I think they represent value. And you'll see in my top 10 list this year, Scott, when we get there, I've got some of these names in there. I can go through why. I think you know, there's the worst over with with these names. Probably not. Uh, if, if rates continue to go higher, they'll get whipped around. Is Microsoft going to last? Is Amazon going to last? Are these companies going to be able to expand share and grow their earnings on solid fortress type balance sheets over the next five years? I think yes. So I think this is when you look for opportunities. Uh, and yeah, over the average, I'm not happy with the past year, but overall, I'm thrilled that I've owned these stocks and I wouldn't think of not owning them for the long term. Joe, what, what, what do you think about these names here? It's the first negative year for growth, by the way, in four. And it, like the other mega cap names that I mentioned, it's the worst, it's worse since 08. So I, I think of it sitting at the desk and, and managing a book and managing money and thinking about the last couple of years, how these were really uh, premium, premium valuation stocks, right? And they maintained that premium valuation for the better part of this process where we've seen rates rise. There is, without question, a recession that's unfolding for valuations, and it's the last line of defense that's now broken down. So you're sitting there managing money, and you say to yourself, okay, what do I do? I've got to raise capital. Again, it's a forced decision where you're moving out of these stocks. It's got nothing to do with fundamental. It has to do with the environment, as Bryn said before, looking at the 23. The environment's uncertain. We need to raise capital. Okay, this is the last place of ownership we were able to maintain a degree of defensiveness. You said something You've got to roll it back. You said something very interesting here. Can these, you, you said that these stocks have benefited like a lot of others did mm -hmm. from zero interest rates. Can these stocks do anywhere close to the performance that they've had over the last five years in a non-zero interest rate world? Can they do well at 4% like they did at 0%? And they, if they can't, to what degree not. do they still need to be re-rated, if not you know, mentally in the mind of investors? They had no competition in the last five years. And I don't mean competition in terms of their business model. I mean competition uh, in the form of investors seeking ownership of paper assets. Now there's other places that investors can go. Can they do well? Sure they could do well because they have strong balance sheets. These are good companies. Are they going to match the returns of the last five years? Low probability. Bryn, how would you answer that question? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, at first I would say, how, how do I define good, right? Will they replicate even remotely what they did from 2012 to 2021? No. I mean, Microsoft was at $32 in 2012. And I think that zero interest rate environment, you can do a discounted cash flow model to infinity. What I'm looking at, if I just look at the Qs to kind of summarize you know, the big cap tech stocks, the Qs in February of 2020 were at 234. So if you look at just a simple 200 moving average, it's not crazy to think that we have to retrace back to that February of 2020 level pre-COVID until we finally start to stabilize. So it, it, it may not happen, but if you look at a chart, that's really the next stop for the Qs in general. And that would make sense, by the way, because financials retraced, consumer discretionary retraced, lots of areas have already retraced the full COVID levels. So I'm Lastly and quick. I'm going to give a different perspective on this, which is it's all about supply and demand. And so Joe's saying there's for selling, which means there's supply. There's lots of supply of these stocks. But a year ago, there was demand. There is not demand right now. And that's because, to your point, of the fundamentals and the valuations. So my partner, Greg, who manages our discipline growth strategy, for example, has been looking at Google. And he was like, OK, I'll look at Google at 150. I'll look at Google at 100. I'll look at Google at 80. And each time, because of the way the world's changing, he's giving it a different valuation. Remember I said I'd look at PayPal at 150? Same thing. Then it got to 100. We were looking at it. Then it got down to where it is. And with, with the construction of the investment environment today, those of us who might be buyers who weren't before are not stepping in. So there's a supply-demand imbalance right now. And it's the valuation and the fundamentals that are keeping the demand at bay. And that, I think, has removed the floor and why they're falling. Straight ahead, energy, the best performing sector this year. It's the only positive sector on the year. We'll debate now if that run continues into 2023. We'll do it next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A conspirator in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has been sentenced to 16 years in prison. Adam Fox was convicted in August for his role in planning to kidnap Whitmer in the wake of her efforts to curb the spread of COVID in 2020. Another co-defendant in the case is set to be sentenced tomorrow. Taiwan is extending its mandatory military service for four, from four months to a year. The nation's president announced this today. Citizens on the island will serve this extended conscription in the face of Chinese aggression, as Taiwan's president said the current military system is insufficient to deal with rising threats and needs to modernize. And the Mega Millions lottery prize is now over half a billion bucks. The next drawing is tonight after the last 20 drawings did not yield a winner. Still, this hefty sum is only a fraction of the largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever, a $2 billion Powerball jackpot won last month in California. Good luck to all. Scott. Get your tickets, everybody. All right. 
Uh, thank you very much. We'll see you a little, little bit later. All right, energy, top performing sector today. The price of crude hitting a three-week high on those loosening COVID restrictions in China. Uh, it's had a great year. All right, Bryn, because you have a ton of ownership here. Dev, just to remind people, too, I know I do this every time, but just to keep it keep it real and, and uh, up to date, Devin, Energy Transfer, uh, the XOP, Viper, Blackstone Minerals. What do we think here going into the new year? Does this run continue? Here's, here's how you want to play it. Energy, if you think we're going into a contraction or a slowdown, energy does not do well. And so I think from a sentiment and a traders, it's going to be really volatile next year. And so I think what you want to focus on is the China reopening is positive. CapEx has still been very, very slow in the space. That's positive. You've got fiscal discipline. That's positive. A ton of free cash flow. And so I think the negatives, the negative of if we go into a slowdown, typically energy doesn't go do well. I'm going to go on a limb and say this time is different. I think energy continues to catch a bid, but the way you want to play it is you want to buy the companies with a dividend and you definitely want to sell calls because you could get a really good total return just with the dividend and selling the calls, really kind of regardless of what the underlying price, if the prices really don't even do anything. All right, so that's some good strategy there from Bryn. Joe? Bryn and I are in basically the same place for our view of what you should own in energy. I'm overweight, but I, I just want to uh, help Bryn on one point. She's, she's saying if we go into a slowdown, we're already going into a slowdown. We've been going into a slowdown for multiple quarters now. And to, Bryn, to, to Bryn's point why this might be different, quarter to date, the XLE is up 22%. In a, in a quarter where we're seeing significant stress, not only in the economy and in technology overall. So it's already displaying the resiliency that everyone is talking about that potentially it might have. For whatever the reasons might be, whether it is fundamental, whether it's the supply, demand, and balance, or whether it's just purely the corporate action of a lot of management for energy companies, and I really think that's something that you can't dismiss. You have to remember their focus is going to be on the shareholder and the return to the shareholder. And I see no reason, you know, Bryn perfectly laid out all the reasons why you want to stay long energy. I'll add upon that and say, not only do you want to be long energy, I think you want to maintain the overweight. I don't think you shift the horse in the middle of the race. Jenny, you are overweight energy. You got a lot of these stocks too. Right, on average, we have about 16%. We do have a lot of stocks, but I think That's this is the- Right, 16% weight yeah, into energy, right? That's triple, the, mm -hmm. almost triple where the S&P is, right? right? But this is the opposite of that earlier Charlie Munger quote. I would say many things, even not great companies, can be made into great investments simply by overly punishing the share price. And so many people for years were saying energy's uninvestable. I mean, you have Devon Energy that's up tremendously this year. The multiple's still six times. The share price is still accounting for like less than $60 oil. So, and to all of Bryn's points about the low CapEx and the free cash flow, blah, 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 all that's great. But at the bottom of it all is that these companies still are low valuations because they were punished and hated and thrown out. And there was no demand for the shares for so long. So, Scott, that goes back to the beginning thing about reconciliation, reckoning. They're still in the process of getting to a more logical valuation for what they offer in terms of consistent cash flow. Best performer, by, uh, pardon me, best performer, uh, by the way, on the year for the space, Occidental, uh, up 121%. Big Berkshire Hathaway name, of course. Uh, Marathon Petroleum up 82. Exxon up near 80%. 
up near 80% for XOM. All right, for more on energy, tune in tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern. We do have a CNBC special on tonight, Taking Stock. It's hosted by Brian Sullivan. Up next, your 2023 playbook from Michael Farr, his list of the top 10 stocks for the year ahead. Plus, our experts are getting ready to grade your trade. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us as well. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We are back right after this. We are back. Michael Farr out today, as he does every year, his top 10 annual stock picks for the year ahead. All right. Michael's on the phone, by the way. Michael, I understand you're having some power issues at your place. So we'll got you on the phone for now. We'll do the best we can with that. Uh, are yes, you with sir. me? First of all, you can hear me, right? Uh, OK, yep, so you got four. You got four crossover picks from from 23 to from 22 to 23. Uh, Mondelez, which was up uh, barely on the year. You got Raytheon, which was the big winner out of your picks on the year. Donaldson was also up. You got that this year. Truist was down 27%. You're still picking it uh, this year. Can you give me an idea of why you picked what you did? You have Amazon, Becton Dickinson, J&J, Mondelez, Microsoft, Alphabet. And I'm hoping that we can show these two while I'm talking about it. Truist, Donaldson, CVS, and Raytheon. And I made a last-minute swap, Scott, that uh, may, may catch your interest, too. I swapped uh, at the last minute FedEx for Donaldson. So I swapped Donaldson out and FedEx in. Uh, this was a list that, in 22, did very well, outperformed. And it actually outperformed big, uh, bigger than it does in other years. doesn't always. Some years, uh, some years better than others. This year, I've got two consumer names, one uh, uh, staples, one discretionary. I've got two tech, two healthcare, two industrials, one financial, one communication services, uh, and that's my alphabet Google, of course. It's sort of still sort of a tech stock, but uh, it is a more defensive portfolio, fortress balance sheets, and you know while we think about a market that may go down uh, and perhaps even make new lows in 2023. I think you have to listen to Yardeni a bit and suggest that it could come back, that we could see a terrific rally uh, and could end the year higher than it begins. We don't know, but I know that this is a core list of stocks that I'd be very comfortable holding for the long term. I think what, what jumps out to me as well is that you had Apple in 22. Obviously, it was a big loser, and you gave up on it for this year. Tell me why you did that. You know, uh, Scott, it, that was actually a close. That was actually a close call. I almost, almost put it back in. Uh, I think Apple has to sell stuff, uh, and it's still a stuff. I mean, it's it gone to apps and services, but they need to sell phones. They need to sell equipment, and a weakening consumer might struggle a little more. So I, I actually made the choice. Uh, to go with the alphabet, to go with Microsoft uh, instead. I think I'd like that tech better. Joe has something for you. Yeah, Michael, walk me through your process with Disney. This is a battleground stock. You no longer want to own it in 23. Tell me why. Oh, well, now, I'm going to own a number of these things still in my other long portfolio. But as my top 10 here, Joe, I was, I was really torn with Disney. It's a bottom five performer in the Dow 30. That typically bottom five is a pretty good dog, so the Dow is a pretty good performer. It just strikes me again that consumer sensitivity over the next 12 months 
there might be other places, to, better places to be. Longer term, I continue to like Disney very much, and it's one of my, uh, it's, a, it's a holding I don't intend to sell anytime soon. All right, Michael, we're going to work on your uh, tech situation, see if we can't get your uh, face Please back on television. Florida power and light, yeah. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll take a quick break on the other side. Hopefully you'll see Michael Farr. For more information, you can go to CNBC.com. All right, that's Michael there. All right, next week on Halftime, by the way, we'll kick off our annual stock summit. We're going to debate the stocks and sectors the committee has the most conviction in for 2023. It was a tough year, obviously, in 22 for, for everybody, uh, for obvious reasons, and for many of you, too, and we totally get that. But we're going to go at it again with some new picks and sectors for the new year. Up next, we will grade your trade, and you can keep sending them in. Find us on Twitter or email us, AskHalftime at CNBC.com. Back after this. All right, let's do this. It's time for Grade My Trade. First up, Bryn, you're the grader. It's for Jeff in Canada on Devon Energy. Since we're just talking about energy, this is perfect. Sold January 2023 calls at $70 strike on Devon for $6.12, excuse me, when the spot price was $66 a share at the time. Grade the trade. Okay, Jeff, my scoring system is a one out of 10, no sevens. I'm gonna give you a nine. So great company. Um, I love the covered call. What's interesting is I looked this morning and you bought it at six. I see the calls are trading at about 65 cents. So I think you've squeezed almost all of the juice out of that orange. So great job there. Also, if you want another idea, the Devon April 70s, you can buy them, you can sell them for 385. You get a 6% premium income, plus you still have 12% upside if it gets called away. So keep up the strategy of buying Devon and selling the calls. And I think that'll be a winning strategy in 2023. All right, Jenny, for you from Bob in Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, I established a position in Northrop Grumman in June and October of 2021 at 378 and 371 a share, rounding. I've added to my position on November 28th and December 1st of this year at 523 and 531, so added considerably higher. Should I continue to add on down days? What do you think? No, I don't think you should. But this is like the best humble brag, you know, grade my trade ever. First of all, you obviously get an A++ on that. Nice trades. Um, we, too, own this. And we've owned it for nine years. We owned it when the multiple was, was 11 times. Where you stand right now is phenomenal company, phenomenal management. We all know that revenues for, dispense, for defense companies are booming and going up really nicely. But the share price has anticipated a tremendous amount of positivity. And that's in there. So where we stand is we're enjoying the, that momentum. We're riding it up a little bit, but we're looking at it very, very cautiously and thinking about taking some off the table next year because it's just a rich valuation. All right. Lastly, Joe, for you, uh, from Bernie in Orinda, California, please have the committee grade this trade. I trimmed Blackstone and bought into Rio Tinto. What do you think? I'm going to give Bernie an A-plus because I'm going to assume that he did it at some point in November, which was <laughs> the perfect time. He didn't give the date. At least he I don't have it give, on my sheet. But so. let's, let's give Bernie we'll give the him benefit. An a anyway. yeah, we'll give, we'll give the benefit of the doubt. Always give the benefit of the <laughs> doubt, exactly okay? especially for our friends up you know, uh, in California. But I think, Bernie, what you want to do here, making the assumption that you did this in November, is now unwind that trade a little bit. If you trimmed Blackstone, buy a little bit back. Rio Tinto, take some profit on what was a nice buy in November. All right. I'll remind you, please keep the trades coming in. You can send us an email. Email, ask halftime at CNBC.com, or you can tweet us, of course, and use the hashtag 
upgrade my trade. Up next, it's our call of the day. Goldman Sachs has top stocks to buy in 2023. See if the committee agrees with Goldman. Do it next. All right, Goldman Sachs analysts have revealed their favorite stocks for 2023. Firm said this week there's a host of names that analysts believe are attractive in a tough macro environment. That list, including Amazon, Weyerhaeuser, Boeing, Chipotle, Humana, and Bath and Body Works. Joe, I'll start with you uh, because you own Chipotle. I do. I mean, this is a company that's been so remarkably resilient uh, in an environment where we're seeing the deceleration in the economy and the consumer is experiencing a degree of stress and, and strain. It really speaks to an executive management team that has really managed the expenses, uh, understood how to keep margins at a strong level. Yeah, how to, have understood how to keep margins at a strong level. You mean raise prices. Yeah. But they've and, been able to do. They've had they've, more pricing power had, than, they, than arguably many. They have the pricing power. Okay. They've been able to pass through a lot of their rising costs. Um, so now it falls back from my perspective in the ownership of stock on the momentum. Does it begin to see momentum wane or not? We'll see how that evolves over the coming month and we'll address it at the end of January. Oh, how things have changed, uh, Bryn, for Boeing, huh? I mean, I think the stock is up better than 50 percent in, in a quarter to date. Yeah, I mean, it hit 125 earlier this year and is at what, 190. So I think we're, I don't own, I don't own Boeing and I'm not going to buy it, but where I think the name is interesting is that, you know, over 40% of their revenue comes from defense, space, et cetera. And we're seeing that the airlines are ordering more planes. And so if Boeing, the executive team at Boeing can just stay out of its own way, I think that it could be a really interesting stock for 2023, but that's a big if. The, the, the C-suite must execute next year. No, no more blunders from them. Which name, Jenny, jumps out to you the most, you think? Well, actually, there's not one. I like the whole list because what this says is we're not going with thematic investing. We're not saying buy the semis, buy software. We're saying, hey, let's look at individual companies on their individual merits. And here's what I thought is going to work this year. What I think is going to work is certainty of earnings, clarity of cash flows, valuations being reconciled. And these, this has happened for all of these. And so I really like this list. To me, this is a thoughtful list. I don't own any of them, but they're all totally viable and logical. Like right. Both from evaluation and just a story perspective. All right. Uh, we'll do a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, we're going to stay all over this Tesla story today in overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. So in just a few hours from now, as that stock hits another new low today, it's down more than 8% as we speak. Dan Ives, the top analyst there, he still says buy the stock. Got Eric Jackson, who re just recently did. Does he have buyer's remorse today? We'll ask him. Then Bill Cohen, he's going to join us, too. Great perspective on all things Wall Street and the personalities involved. So we'll speak to those three about that story. Dan Greenhouse joining us, too. Victoria Fernandez, looking forward to everybody joining us in just a few hours' time. Let's do final trades. Bryn, why don't you go first? Visa. Visa's only down 5% this year, so relatively good performer. High free cash flow yield, high margins in the 40s and 50s for both. And so I think going to 2023, I want certainty of margins and I want high free cash flow. Visa is a great name to add here. Okay, thank you for that. Jenny Harrington. All right. If you're right about Tepper's point, which I think you are, which is to say stay, say, stay cautious, my friends, AT&T, 6% yield, seven times earnings, unbelievable negativity already incorporated in the share price. Yeah, still looking for the, the good dividend plays <laughs> that have worked well for you and your strategy this year. Joe Terranova, Joey T. 
This time last year, I heard Merck was too boring of a stock. Now, this time I hear it's too high and people don't want to buy it. I still own it. I think it's a great stock. I think you should own it too. Okay, again, we'll keep our eyes on Tesla for the rest of the day. I'll see you in overtime in just a few hours. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.